Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And following, Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nancy. Today we have two texts about Jesus, both from Matthew's Gospel. The first comes from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 the other a few chapters later when Jesus has taught great multitudes and returns to his hometown. Both illustrate something about the people we are willing to follow. It's curious to me that neither text is included in the Revised Common Lectionary, given the challenging words of Jesus, especially those throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So let us first hear that text. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Most preachers, perhaps glibly and certainly arrogantly, conclude that Jesus is saying the wide gate is only for those who walk the way of this world. They say only those who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and as their God are on this narrow path, and so we should be certain to say the sinner's prayer so we are, know that we are moving through the narrow gate. I strongly disagree because Jesus makes it quite clear in other texts that following him is not some easy decision, not some get-out-of-hell-free card. What Jesus calls us to is something much more rigorous. How do I know? Well, let's look at the other times when Jesus turns away would-be followers. I'm reminded of Luke 9, when a man comes to Jesus and exclaims, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is letting this man know that choosing a life of followership is choosing a life of uncertainty, of challenge, and not all are fit for the challenge. Again in Luke, Jesus calls a man to follow him, and the man replies, let me go and bury my father first. Since Jewish custom was to bury the dead as soon as possible, it is almost certain that the man's father was alive and well. And the man was in fact saying, I will follow you after my father dies. And Jesus replies, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. The man is faced with the difficult choice of staying with his family or following Christ. In other places, Jesus tells would-be followers that they must hate their own father and mother, that they must count the cost of what they are considering in following him, that they must take up their cross. Jesus promises that the narrow way will be fraught and challenging, arduous and uncertain. He also said it is the way to life. If we want to experience the fullness of living, the fullness of our tradition, the fullness of God expressed through Jesus, then we will choose the narrow path in spite of its challenges, its pain, its variability. Jesus shows us a way to see God that few will choose because of its difficulty, and that is exactly the point. That is why Jesus follows those words with a caution following. The text continues, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There will be many, Jesus says, who come in ignorance or with ill intentions. There will be many who will come and say, the difficult road is actually easy. I think of the prosperity gospel that says God wants to give us every material thing we could, all, we could want for ease and comfort. I think of those who preach a gospel of Christian nationalism, the idea that this nation is wholly defined by Christianity and that our government should take active steps to keep it that way. Nowhere does Jesus ever say, you will become rich and powerful by following me. Neither does he ever say, you should force your beliefs on everyone. No, Jesus has just finished explaining how difficult a path it is to follow God, and many are not suited for it. We should concern ourselves, then, with following God and not seeking after some slick ad campaign or magic formula. Discipleship, as Nietzsche wrote, should be a long obedience in the same direction. If we are always changing direction, chasing after the newest thing, we will never find the narrow gate to God. Jesus then promises that we will know false prophets by their fruit. When we evaluate supposed messengers of God, we may ask whether they live lives that are evidence of God's work. Are they preaching a gospel that sounds like Jesus' gospel? Of caring for the poor, the sick, the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner? If they're not, they're not preaching the gospel Jesus gave his life for. The second reading is from Matthew 13. Jesus has been teaching to multitudes, sharing God's message with the masses. And after he had told parables of weeds and mustard seeds, 
of yeast and pearls of great price, and in treasure in heaven, to crowds so large he had to row out onto the lake so as to speak to them all, he returns home to Nazareth. Those hearers had been astonished at Jesus' teaching. They pressed in around him, hoping to hear more about God and God's work. And of course, then Jesus goes home to his mama. The text reads, When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. When Jesus returned to Nazareth, those people too were amazed, but not in a good way. These people were astonishingly offended by him, taking his teaching as pretense. Where they asked, could this carpenter's son have learned these things about God? Where, when he was busy helping his stepfather, hammering nails and building homes? How could he have done these things or learned them while providing for his household? When did he have time to become a great teacher? I love that Jesus recognizes the powers at work here. There's nowhere harder to be who you've become than in your own hometown. We so often feel small there because people made us feel small there. We often feel uncertain of how to hold on to our becoming in light of those relational dynamics, in light of people who refuse to see us as we have become because they are committed to knowing who we were. Sometimes those closest to us are the most resistant to truly knowing us. They may see us through the lens of our past mistakes and limitations and fail to recognize the work of God in our lives. Thanks be to God that we are not defined only by these things. And I love that even Jesus couldn't wholly overcome the way he was treated in Nazareth. He calls attention to this fact, saying, A prophet is not without honor and except in his own hometown and in his own home. Indeed, because of their derision, the jeering, the overfamiliarity of the people, Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. This is the sad part, of course, that when we have been transformed, when we have walked the way of Jesus, we hope that people will see us and see God's work in us. But of course, they do not always. But take heart, friends, because it is not our job to convince other people that we are changed. Our job is simply to love people, to walk in humility, and commend the people whom we encounter into the hands of God. And here's what I find challenging about reading these two texts together. It is difficult to recognize a false prophet because they tell us things we want to hear, things that make us feel good, things that promise ease and comfort and certainty. It is difficult to parse out what is real fruit and just a plastic replica, looking pretty in a bowl, but wholly indigestible. But it is also difficult to recognize a true prophet because we find them so familiar as to be contemptuous, because we know their humble backgrounds, because we wonder how they could have found a depth of wisdom we may not have accessed ourselves. 
because we want to dismiss the hard truths born of lived experience in continually seeking understanding. Jesus warns us not to look at a person's success or wealth, but rather look for the way God is working in them. Where lives are changed, where the focus is on Jesus' gospel and the heart of God, there is truth. Here is the narrow gate. And so, friends, as we go on about our lives, let us remember Jesus' words. May we be bold enough to choose a difficult path for love. May we produce good fruit by living lives of service and obedience to God. May God reveal to us what is true. May we trust in God's power to transform. Take heart, friends, for God is in the choosing and in the serving. God is in the revelation and the transformation. Thanks be to God.